You know, I want to say that um, this theme of uniting we love is um, a, a, a theme that's very special to us. And I think that it's a, a, a theme that, that really accentuates what the church has been saying for many years here at Lover's Lane. So we, in essence, are uh, accenting what we have said when we say united we love. You know, this theme is one that we really want everyone to know uh, that this church on the corner of Northwest Highway and Inwood Road is a church where we see ourselves united in uh, love, not just uh, any kind of love, but the love of Christ. A few years ago, um, we did away with some signs that we'd had since we moved here in the 70s, and those signs weren't they weren't real attractive. They kind of looked like big tombstones, really. I mean, they were white, and uh, they had gold lettering on them that you couldn't really see when you passed by very well. You couldn't see them. But the message that was on those signs, not just Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, but the message underneath was so important. It said, you are welcome. And it had been saying you are welcome at this corner for many, many years. Now, we replaced those signs with some beautiful signs, uh, but we moved that you are welcome statement to every door of this church. Everywhere you enter here at Lover's Lane, you see that statement. You are welcome. No qualification to the you. You means you. And everyone else who comes into this space, we want them to know that they are welcome. But not just with any kind of hospitable welcome. It's the welcome of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we also uh, decided to do a sermon series similar to the one we're in now. And, and that sermon series, we entitled No Perfect People Allowed. And we put up a banner, and the banner was so popular, we just left the banner up for several months uh, because we thought it made a statement that also ac accented our you are welcome in saying no perfect people allowed. I often chuckle at um, an experience that we had during that sermon series. Um, the late Ross Perot at that time uh, was driving by and he called one of our associates and he said, well, it looks like I'm not going to be welcome at Lover's Lane anymore. You've got to sign up, said no perfect people allowed. <laughs> of course, he was joking. But, but we all know that there are no perfect people. Therefore, all of us are allowed. It's a welcome that is the welcome of Christ. And, and you know, we've been in this sermon series, we've been lifting up people like the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus and the despised Samaritans and uh, the religious righteous like Nicodemus and sinners like Zacchaeus. All are welcome. Last Sunday, we, look, we uh, lifted up Nicodemus' story and John 3.16 was heralded again. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes... Whosoever believes. And, and so we as a church want to continue to accent not our own message, but one that we believe we've received from Jesus himself. And that the early church continued to build on the theme of Jesus, that all whosoever are welcome. The early church continued with Pentecost and um, you know, a few weeks ago, some of us were in the Holy Land and we were at that place that it's believed that a lot of folks gathered on that first Pentecost uh, uh, season. 
And, and, and Peter preached the word, and 3,000 people were converted and were baptized right there. And people, Jews, were in Jerusalem from all over the world. They'd been there, some of them, since the Passover, and they just stayed for Pentecost, which is the second largest uh, festival on, on the Hebrew calendar. And there, it was a statement that the message of Christ is for all nations. And then we read not too many weeks ago about the Ethiopian eunuch who was uh, on a stately visit to Jerusalem and he was on his way back home and he was reading in the chariot the scroll of Isaiah and Philip comes beside him, remember? And, and he, he said, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, no. And so Philip just jumped in the chariot with him and explained the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and they passed by some water and the Ethiopian said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Now there was a lot in that that question, what's to prevent me? What's to prevent me? I'm not a Jew. Can I be baptized? I'm not a Roman citizen. Can I be baptized? I'm a black man. Can I be baptized? I'm a eunuch whom some don't even consider me a man. Can I be baptized? And of course, Philip baptized him. Today we're dealing with a text that continues that theme to the Gentiles. And in the 10th chapter of Acts, we read that very familiar story about uh, Peter and, and Cornelius coming together through a dream. So we'll be saying more about that, um, that story in just a moment. But I want to first talk to us a little bit about dreams. Could it be that God dreams that his church... The church of Jesus Christ is for all people from different places, different opinions, different persuasions, united in the love of Christ. Is that God's dream? Let's talk a little bit about dreams. Dr. David Fontana said this, We live in two worlds. The waking world with its laws of science logic and social behavior and the elusive world of dreaming still shrouded in mystery behind the veil of sleep in the dream world fantastic happenings images and transformations are normal currency and often such dreams exp dream experiences are suffused with a depth of emotion or visionary insight that can surpass waking experiences. Sigmund Freud located dreams in the unconscious where our repressed instincts and desires dwell. Dr. Carl Jung departed from Freud saying that the common themes run across cultures and across the centuries. And thus was born his belief in the collective unconscious, a level of the mind serving as a wellspring of psychological life. And you know, most of the world's cultures have believed that dreams come from an outside source. Egyptians believed that dreams carried messages from good and bad spirits. Greeks 
built shrines to serve as dream oracles. Jews believed God spoke through dreams. And our Bible, our Judeo-Christian tradition, is full of God speaking to his people through dreams and visions and trances. And all is to say, our tradition invites us to pay attention to dreams. Yesterday, I was invited into one of uh, the homes of our members, and we had a big gathering um, really celebrating the Feed My Starving Children program that we've been so involved in through the years. And we were there to hear from a couple uh, who were in from Africa, in the old Swaziland is where their mission is. And, and they, in uh, their ministry, were recipients of Feed My Starving Children rations, some of those rations we probably packed. The couple's name, Janine and Ian Maxwell, and, and they told about uh, their experience, their testimony. Janine had an extremely successful marketing business in Canada, and, and yet she, ca- she felt called into the mission field, so she just closed the, the shop. Uh, it was a surprise to uh, her wonderful clients, but she said that she just had a, a special luring to Africa. She knew that it was Jesus. Her husband, Ian, Um, He had a dream along the same time. It was really a vision. And and he shared it with um, Janine, his wife. He said that, you know, I have a vision that one day we'll own a a large farm in Africa and and we'll have a dairy farm there and we'll grow food. And Janine said to us who were gathered yesterday that her husband had never seen a cow, she didn't think. And so this was kind of an outlandish dream that he thought that he was not only going to be a dairy farmer, but in Africa of all places. And she said that, that, that they were in Atlanta not too many days after that. And, um, and, and, and they were with some people, and some of them were very wealthy contributors to all different kinds of philanthropic uh, causes. And, 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 and then one of those men, uh, a very wealthy man said, you know, I've been thinking lately, I, I've kind of had this dream. I've had this dream of a 2,500 acre farm somewhere in Africa. And on that farm, there would be, um, there'd be dairy cows and we'd milk dairy cows and uh, we'd grow food. And, you know, it'd be f- wonderful. We'd feed hungry children there. And, you know, it was just like, whoa, you know, here is Ian, uh, Uh, having this dream about this dairy farm and this man he didn't even know that he meets in Atlanta having this same dream and so uh, they share their dreams together and today they're milking 130 milk cows a day producing 5,000 eggs that are boiled in a certain process that allows the eggs to, um, uh, to not spoil over several weeks not being refrigerated And and the story about how they feed these orphan children that are all a part of this bigger farm concept was just absolutely amazing. And how it all came together by God inspiring through dreams. I share that because that's at the heart of the story we're going to read a portion of today. We're not going to read the whole 10th chapter. I'm going to tell you most of it. But I want to tell you the part before uh, the part we're going to read is about A man named Cornelius who is a centurion, a Roman centurion, receiving a dream from God. And and Peter also receiving a dream from God. And God bringing the two together. 
Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, the 10th chapter of Acts, Acts 10, and we're going to read the sermon that Peter preached when he connected with the Roman centurion in Caesarea along with the whole household. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word and we'll begin with the 39th verse. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I'm no psychotherapist and I like most pastors have just enough psychological training to hopefully at least make us compassionate listeners, right? But I do know if dreams are a result of our unconscious, repressed instincts and desires, I do know if dreams are from a common source, a collective consciousness, and are about feeling our religious function toward inspiring spirituality and love, I do believe that dreams are more than unconscious communication, but God can speak to us through dreams. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. We read about him in this 10th chapter, in the verses before the ones we read this morning. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to people and he prayed constantly to God and one afternoon about three o'clock he had a dream the scripture says a vision was given to him from God he clearly saw an angel and the angel came in and called him by name he stared at the angel with fear and trembling and he asked what is it Lord and the angel simply said your prayers And almsgiving have been blessed by God. Send men to Joppa and fetch Simon Peter. He's residing at Simon the Tanner's place by the seaside. 
Now, a few weeks ago, some of us were right there where this took place, right there at Caesarea by the seaside. And as we were sitting there in, in that place, and, and we were thinking in terms of, of, of how... Um, of how this centurion was so inspired by a dream to go and fetch Simon Peter, whom he did not know. So Cornelius sent out two slaves to bring back Simon Peter. At noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He was hungry. And while dinner was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he had a dream. He saw the heavens open, and a large sheet, as you can see there in this, I don't know who took that picture, but it's a good, this large sheet, it was like a sail being lowered, and on it, there were all kinds of unclean animals and reptiles and birds. And then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, I will not eat anything that is unclean or profane. And the voice said again, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And about that time, the men arrived from Cornelius, the unclean, the profane, the Gentiles. They told Simon Peter that Cornelius, a God-fearing man, had a dream, and an angel spoke to him and sent, uh, sent them to Simon Peter. So Peter, I guess he sensed that their testimony was for real. He sensed their sincerity. And so he left the next day on his way to Caesarea. And when he arrived, he met Cornelius there, and Cornelius fell at his feet. He was he was in awe of this man of God. Peter told him to stand up, that he, Peter, was only a man. And then reminding them that it was against the Jewish law for him to associate with Gentiles, he said, in essence, but I'm here with you. I came all this way to be here with you. Because God has shown me not to call anyone profane or unclean whom God has cleaned. Why did you send for me, he said. And then Cornelius shares the essence of his dream. He, he talks to Peter about, about how he was a God-fearer, how he believed in God, but yet he wasn't a, a Jew, a, a Gentile, and how he tried to lead his whole household into that same understanding of, of God and, and how he gave alms as the Scripture instructs. And that's when Peter preached the good news, the good news that we read. And then that miraculous event occurs. While Peter's preaching, all of these Gentiles, the profane, the unclean, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. As if a dream wasn't good enough. God comes on them in the power of the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues and they're extolling God. So Peter obviously says, how can we deny the waters of baptism? to these whom God 
has already baptized in the Spirit. Now, there are two miracles offered in this passage concerning God's dreams. And the first is that what God has made clean, we must not call profane. God's dream is that we will recognize what he has claimed to be clean as not being profane. In fact, we are to love what God has made clean. Peter shared the good news, and then it is still the good news that God has made all people clean through the cross. The action of the cross was an event of salvation for the whole world. The, the Savior of the world was lifted up for all people. It's like we say on the door, all are welcome. Jesus said on the cross, all are saved by my grace. It's the law that condemns you. My grace saves you. And the second part of God's dream was when we look into the eyes of another. We're not looking into the eyes of of just another, but one whom God has made clean. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best. He said, this man who was killed by the Nazis in Nazi Germany, this wonderful uh, uh, pastor, he said, when we look into the eyes of another, we look into the eyes of the ones for whom Christ died. The ones for whom Christ died. Even the Nazis the ones for whom Christ died. Do you believe that Christ has made you clean? You know, sometimes I think that we're the last ones to get it. Because we live sometimes with so much guilt and shame or so much of, 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 um, uh, of our own inferiorities or whatever it is, we don't think that God could possibly do, have done all of that for me. And yet we need to first understand, just like Cornelius came to understand that he didn't have to be a Jew. He didn't even have to do what he was doing to earn his salvation. That God, the God that he feared, was the God of grace who gave him salvation. You know, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. That's what the scripture says. Nothing we have ever done or could ever do would fall outside the all-encompassing forgiveness of God and his desire that we would receive the gift of forgiveness. Cornelius was ready to receive any gift God had for him. He was a God-fearer. He knew there was a better way than the way of Roman secularism. You know, a few years ago, I attended an event that was called the United Methodist Congress of Evangelism. And I heard a pastor speak whose name was Lee Strobel. At the time, Lee was an associate pastor at the great Willow Creek Church in Chicago. Willow Creek was one of the first big mega churches that really reached out to the seekers of the world. They declared that, you know, our church is not for Christians. Our church is for the seekers. And we believers are supposed to make a way to open the door to seekers. 
And Lee said that they were having this baptismal service at the church, and those who were being baptized, literally hundreds of people, were given name tags. And so they came forward at an appointed time with a a relative or a friend, and they were asked the basic question, if they had given their life to Christ and if they desired to be baptized in the Christian faith. And of course, whoever met them there could read their name and could ask them these questions by name. Lee said there was a woman walking forward and she was coming straight for him. He said she was accompanied by a large, tough-looking man. Lee reported that the man looked like the kind of guy who wouldn't bother to use a hammer to drive a nail, you know? He said he was tough, and he said he kind of looked, he had a kind of a scowl on his face, and, and, and he was walking up with this woman who had her name tag on. He didn't have a name tag on. And so he said, when I asked her the question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you, do, do you desire to be baptized as a Christian? She said, she said yes. And he said, for some reason, I turned to the big guy and I said, how about you? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said he got this contorted look on his face and he began to tense up. And Lee said, oh, I'm going to die. And he said, and all of a sudden, this man just broke into tears. And he said, no, no, I haven't. And I want to, I want to right now. I want to be baptized in the Christian faith. And so both of them, this husband and wife it comes to be, were baptized that day in the Christian faith. Lee said as soon as the service was over, another woman came up to him. He said the, the whole time she was coming up to him, she was saying, nine years, nine years, nine years. And he said when he, she finally stopped in front of him, she said, nine years I've been praying for my brother and my sister-in-law to come to faith. And today they did. You know, one of the things that struck me about this story in the 10th chapter of Acts that I never have really paid a lot of attention to. And it's the dream that Cornelius had first. The angel said, the Lord has heard your prayers. Cornelius had been praying for who knows how long, for his household, for those whom he loved, that they would come to a faith in Jesus Christ and that that he would come to a faith in Jesus Christ. He just didn't know enough about what all of that meant. He knew he was missing something. He knew that his household whom he loved was missing the same thing. Who knows how long he prayed. So when Peter arrived at Cornelius's, he not only found him, but he found his family and friends gathered in the house. They all were hungry for the things of God and had an unquenchable thirst for what Peter would bring them from God. And Peter recognized that desire. He no longer asked questions about whether they were Gentiles or whether they were Jews. He had received a vision that had told him, don't call unclean and profane that which I've cleaned. So he obeyed and he went to the house of the Gentile. 
And there in this room with, full of Gentiles, he proclaims the very gospel that he proclaimed on Pentecost when 3,000 Jews converted to Christianity. And there the Holy Spirit filled them, the scripture said. They were filled. They spoke in tongues. They extolled God. And so Peter said, I know they're Gentiles. I know we've always been taught they're unclean. I know they don't follow the law. They're uncircumcised and they eat bacon. But God has baptized them with the Holy Spirit. I wonder how long Cornelius had been praying for those in his household, his family, his closest friends, all whom he'd invited just to hear the word that Peter would proclaim. And his greatest prayer was answered. His whole household came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I want to challenge us today. I want to challenge us to put one person on a list. It doesn't have to be a physical list. I want it to be written on your heart. One person that you're praying for. One person that, that, that you know is missing something that you want them to have. And I want you to pray for that one person. Pray as fervently as we imagine Cornelius prayed. And you know, I believe that that one person, if that one person is where they could come to this one church, I believe that they will find the Holy Spirit here. In fact, I believe it will be the Holy Spirit that brings them here. And I believe that when they enter here, they will find the spirit of Jesus Christ, the same spirit who caused this church to put on a sign, you are welcome, Gentiles and all, who remind, reminded this little part of the world, there are no perfect people allowed here, tongue in cheek, smile on face, that means we're all allowed here unless you're perfect. And that means that understanding of that we are united, we love, we love not with just any old love, a human emotion, but a love that comes from God, a love that we identify in Jesus Christ himself. My hope is the one that you pray for will come to know that love. And that we will continue to be a church for that person on your heart and for every other person that says you are welcome. No perfect people here. You're not going to find perfect people here. But you're going to find people here who know that we are united in the love of Christ that saved us and saves the world. The cross and only the cross has made us clean. Amen.